welcome everybody to the latest episode of Media Sandwich, a podcast that takes the leftovers from the last week of pop culture news and crafts just a, a very special sandwich out of them. So much so that, dare I say, you may look forward to the sandwich on the day after more than the original meal itself. Maybe, perhaps, I don't know. I hope so. Um, <laughs> I am Kyle Martinak, and this is hopefully going to be a quick one for you because... Look, I got a lot going on. I got work deadlines. I've got an illness that you can clearly hear in my voice right now. I'm sounding a little bit gross. Uh, and uh, just refusing to let go of my throat and lungs. It's killing me. Uh, and yeah, I've got uh, stuff to do for the holiday coming up, too. Uh, you know, a turkey has to spend like 72 hours in this brine. Very complex brine. Um <laughs> Actually, let me be real for a second. I'm actually not doing a turkey at all this year. My father-in-law instituted a no-turkey policy, and we are roasting a chicken. And my side of the family, because we're doing two Thanksgivings, my side of the family has had so many surgeries and illnesses lately that we said screw it, and we're doing a stress-free takeout Thanksgiving of some kind. We haven't picked where we're going, but here's the thing. I'm an English major, so the first thing that I studied in American literature uh, was the account of the first Thanksgiving, that actual passage of writing that describes the first Thanksgiving, and it, it was surprising to me, it was only one to two paragraphs long, and it basically boiled down to, hey, we found some wild turkeys after like a couple of days of coming up dry while hunting, so we killed them turkeys and we've decided to celebrate a little bit. By eating them, the turkeys. And that's basically it. Like, the the turkey is really the only part of that kindergarten fable about the first Thanksgiving that's actually true. And my families have both decided to phase it out. Am I upset by this? Not really, no. I like turkey fine, but the amount of sweat that goes into those big expensive fuckers, it just really isn't worth it. I think we ought to change the symbol of Thanksgiving from the turkey to the pie. To the pie is everything. The pie is really the the cornerstone to the the successful Thanksgiving is you finished your meal and you sit down and you eat the pie and you go to sleep with that pie still on your breath. Um, either that or the sandwich the day after. The leftover san Thanksgiving leftover sandwich the day after Thanksgiving is to me, twice as sacred as the turkey itself. I could get rid of the turkey and just have that sandwich. A turkey sandwich, I guess, but still. Uh, anyway, let's talk about video games. Um, <laughs> let's first acknowledge... Let's first acknowledge that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet came out, and Chris did an absolutely wonderful job of giving us a rundown last week of what to expect from this game, except... Apparently, for the frankly unacceptable amount of glitches that happened, every video game news outlet has reported that the Switch just may not have the guts to run this game properly. Um, which is pretty sad and pretty gross, honestly, because it was made for this platform, right? Right? It was? I'm sure it'll get fixed, but just, just to reiterate something that Chris said last week, might have ended up on the cutting room floor... But he said that these flagship Pokemon games, if they could just get a longer turnaround cycle on these, like a four-year cycle instead of a two-year cycle, that is the difference between a perfectly good game and a masterpiece of a game. So, hey, surprise, surprise, Chris Pranger was right about something regarding Nintendo and Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> go listen to last week's episode for everything Chris had to say about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Everything he talked about pretty much uh, was uh, on the button in terms of uh, picking your starter Pokemon, uh, uh, evolutions, all of that stuff. You go, go listen to that. It was great stuff. I didn't understand half of it, which is why I had him helping me with that stuff. But anyway, actual news going on beyond that. This year happens to mark the 20th anniversary of Splinter Cell. And Ubisoft has been planning a big old modern remake of the original, uh, top to bottom remake. So they 
uh, decided to drop some concept art this last week to celebrate the occasion. And the game is, it's in the really early stages right now, you can tell, but the concept art looks pretty sweet. I mean, I love concept art in general. Uh, very moody, very, the shadowy lighting has always been a really big part of the series, and it's all over the place in this art. Uh, there's a piece that depicts your basic extreme rendition type of interrogation. Looks a little oof, uh, <laughs> a little yeesh. Uh, and then there's one, of course, showing Sam Fisher and his trademark goggles. Very fun stuff. I like the, the Splinter Cell franchise. I think those games are fun. And the new version of the original game, this remake of the original, is supposed to have some great updates, some things to bring to bring it into the uh, the modern day as far as games go, because that game was a long time ago and a lot of things have changed. Uh, spe- <laughs> specifically, not only the plot needs to fix some stuff that doesn't really age well in terms of what Sam Fisher is doing what his agency is up to, the kind of geopolitical stuff in the plot. Uh, You know, in details like cell phones are different and all of that stuff. You know, all of his tech probably seems a lot more outdated now than it was 20 years ago. But not only all of that stuff, but they need to update the AI a little bit. So they're doing that. There's, uh, They're going to put in a distinct difference between how the Black Ops uh npcs behave versus like basic security guards and whatnot to give it a little bit more of a layers of intelligence there's going to be a big revamp of how sound carries and behaves in the game which is really important because it's a stealth game and if you make noise you're screwed and the npcs react to noises um yeah all things that have become much more dynamic in stealth games since the early aughts you know i mean if you play a stealth game these days it's much different uh i i remember playing like uh metal gear solid metal, metal gear solid 2 sons of liberty and marveled at how the ai was so unintelligent you know you could it wasn't really a stealth game so much as it was a puzzle game right like Like, go here, make a noise here, guy comes that way, you go around. It's a puzzle game. It's not a stealth game. Uh, That's not really the way it is anymore now. Now it's it's a lot more intelligent. I'm pretty pumped for this. Splinter Cell has been, as far as I'm concerned, without a doubt, Splinter Cell is the most consistent franchise in the Tom Clancy brand of games over the years. I mean, it's definitely the one with the most... uh, with the most entries too, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, there are tons of Rainbow Six games. There are tons of uh, uh, there are tons of uh, Ghost Recon games, and uh, those all just yeah, like for for every for all five Ghost Recon games, there's like one that's probably pretty good. For every like dozen or so Rainbow Six games, there's a couple that are decent. I really liked the. Uh, what were those? The uh, the Rainbow Six Vegas games. Those were pretty good. Those weren't really your typical uh, your typical Rainbow Six games, though, were they? Um, just like my, how my favorite of the Splinter Cell games actually was not your typical Splinter Cell game. My I I really enjoyed Conviction, and that was when the Splinter Cell games kind of. That was during that period where every stealth game had to double as a third-person shooter with the chest-high walls everywhere. Hitman Absolution did the same thing. And sure enough, the the Rainbow Six games had the Rainbow Six Vegas. So kind of that same thing. I like that. I like the idea of playing a stealth game that also could double as a third-person shooter. I don't like a stealth game when you get caught, that's the end, and you've got to go back to the start. I kind of enjoy, damn it, I'm caught. I guess now it's time to bring out the big gun and just start just start spraying and praying. Um, that's me because I'm bad at video games. But yeah, um, I might I might shell out for a top to bottom remake of Splinter Cell with the plot and everything revamped. If they add that uh, that third person shooter aspect to the first game, that'd be really interesting to see if they're going to continue with that. I know that uh, Conviction was kind of a hit. I'm not sure if Blacklist was or not. I don't remember. 
But that brings up another question. Blacklist was the first game without Michael Ironside as the voice of Sam Fisher. Are they bringing him back? That's my question. Let me do a quick Google search. Uh, I'm I'm going to look right now and let me see if... I'll cut all this out. I'll I'll, I'll just come right back. Uh, If I remember right, he he left uh, the Fran... He didn't come back for Blacklist... It wasn't a case of like, well, we're just firing Michael Ironside. Don't get angry, uh, Bayonetta 3 fans. <laughs> but, no, I think he, he had to step out because he had like uh, some medical issues or something. You know what? We cannot find a definitive answer on whether or not Michael Ironside is coming back as Sam Fisher. So here's hoping... Uh, We've got plenty of time to hope. That game is in such early stages, I wouldn't plan on seeing it until late 2024, maybe even further. I'm not sure. We don't have a release date on that yet, but I'm excited. I'm always excited for for a game that's that's in that universe. I think Splinter Cell is actually a pretty good video game franchise. Terrible novels. I tried reading a Splinter Cell novel, and I could not get through it. It was terrible it was terrible uh but anyway the other headline in video games well well it has to be talked about because it's pretty nuts uh several people have been arrested so far for insider trading related to the newest dragon quest game huh yeah that's what i said huh what uh yeah um several people including a square enix employee and also, Yuji Naka, one of the original Sega designers who co-created Sonic the Hedgehog, one of those, that, that guy, one of the big, like, the, the original Sonic creators, has been arrested in uh, Japan for insider trading. How, how is that possible? Um, back in 2020, uh, Square Enix announced that a smaller studio called Aiming... I think I'm pronouncing that right, Aiming, would be the developer on an upcoming mobile Dragon Quest game for Android and iOS. Dragon Quest, uh, uh, I forget the name of it, it's like Tar, Talk or something? I forget the, Tarth? I don't know. Dragon, Dragon Quest game. But before that announcement was made, these folks who were all aware of the deal before it was made public, because they work in the game industry and have some connection to Square Enix or to the the franchise or whatever, allegedly they bought a bunch of shares of aiming stock before it would skyrocket after the announcement. So Naka himself has been accused of buying 10,000 shares of aiming worth about 2.8 million yen, which comes out to like $20,000 American. So yeah, I'm not a lawyer, but that's what lawyers refer to as bad. That's a real, that's, you done a bad. Um, that's a real indicator to me that the video game industry still, after like 50 years now, has just yet to grow up. I mean, I love, I love games. I, I wish that games could be seen as the artistic medium by more people that I believe it is. There are games the last few years, especially, that are objectively works of art. There's no asterisk anymore. Uh, When I think about this, I think about a game like Hades, right? Whether you like the game or not, you have to admit, a game that that thorough with its, its... Through visual art, through voice acting, through interactive experience of the player, it tells a story and conveys character development in a way that's wholly different from the cinematic aspects you know the things we think about with movies or or tv or whatnot the actual structure of the game its genre itself is used as a metaphor that's art you know that's the good shit right there so i think the whole debate is over with games are art or they're on par with film or television this this is me talking that says a lot that i would say that but as far as the way the industry purports itself Gadzooks, folks. Um, there are other problems like uh, developer crunch, microtransactions, loot boxes, 
the incestuous relationship between game distributors and game journalism outlets, <clears throat> uh, the rampant sexual misconduct that goes unchecked in a massive boys club mentality. It's got all of those problems, but this problem, this is just dick-brained inside trading that I can't believe these people would try this and think that they wouldn't get caught. Say what you want about the Warner Brothers Discovery merger. When Batgirl got shelved, you didn't hear about a handful of people who got caught shorting their stock before the predictable freefall that, that did in fact happen. You didn't hear about insiders buying shares of Disney right before the Marvel or Lucasfilm purchases. Now, I'm not saying none of that happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen at all. But come on. This is yet another instance where the game industry just hasn't really caught up to its peers yet. It's still, it's still the younger child, and it won't be taken seriously today. <laughs> the, the video game industry, for this reason, yet another reason not to take it as seriously today. No soup for you. Um, that sucks. <laughs> but, um, hey, hey, uh, the big news this last week... Movie-wise, let's get into movies. The big news this last week was the slight reveals that we're now getting on Indiana Jones 5. Uh, that's a thing that's happening. And there was a big spread in Vanity Fair magazine, the way Lucasfilm always does. They do it with Star Wars every movie. They did it with uh, Crystal Skull, and they're doing it now. So we got big, beautiful uh, Annie Leibovitz pictures of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones for the new movie. Indiana Jones 5, man, it's a, a movie that most people would hear about and say, really? Hmm. Boy, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's everybody's reaction so far is, boy, I don't know. Uh, I'll say this. I've softened a little bit on Crystal Skull over the last few years. A big thanks to the Blank Check podcast episode. Uh, which I think consisted mainly of David Ehrlich, the the uh, movie critic David Ehrlich, defending the movie. But, you know, it's still pretty sad that I'm more encouraged that Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have sat this one out, this new one. The movie is directed by a favorite of mine, Mr. James Mangold. Uh, he of Logan, 310 to Yuma. He's uh, He was, for a hot minute, going to be the director of a Boba Fett movie, and instead, this is his big Lucas film. This is his consolation prize as he gets to do Indiana Jones. And I'm sure if he does well on Indiana Jones, he might have more Indiana Jones sequels or they'll let him play in Star Wars land. I think that might be the idea. But anyway, the movie is going to be set in 1969, and it's going to take place within the U.S.-Soviet space race. Uh, per, per the big spread in uh, Empire Magazine, it's not Vanity Fair, it's actually Empire Magazine. Uh, I messed that up. <laughs> um, that included uh, lots of uh, glossy character photos. Um, yeah, it's, it's your, your basic, like, you know, check out the movie, behind the scenes stuff. Mads Mikkelsen's character is apparently going to be a former Nazi scientist who was probably recruited to the U.S. in Operation Paperclip. Google that if you've never heard of it. Um, we, we basically uh, we took a bunch of Nazi rocket scientists during World War II, and instead of putting them on trial for war crimes, we let them become U.S. citizens so that they could help us win the race to the moon against the communists. And essentially, Mads Mikkelsen is playing a more evil version of uh, Werner von Braun. Again, Google if you don't know who Werner von Braun is. But yeah, Indiana Jones, not a fan of the moon landings, and he probably is going to turn out to be correct because it's going to be probably a secret Nazi plot. For what? I'm not sure. For the moon, I guess. I There's a lot to unpack here. Um, for one thing, this premise... You remember in 2007 when news about Crystal Skull was trickling in and every piece of news felt like exactly this feeling that we're having right now, that feeling of rationalization? Like, at the time they were like, well, it's the late 1950s and India's fighting the KGB and we've got Area 51 and flying saucer stuff because it's the 50s and his sidekick is a greaser because it's the 50s. 
And a lot of us were nodding along and understanding, like, yeah, okay, I mean, the math checks out. It's been 20 years since the last time we saw him. Uh, that was the 30s, so that's the 50s. The Nazis are no longer trying to dominate the world through the occult. So, okay, the flying saucer stuff is weird, since he's, you know, an archaeologist, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but if there's some link to archaeology, and then we hear, oh yeah, don't worry, there's crystal skulls and ancient aliens, and that's the link between aliens and archaeology. And we're like, yeah, okay, fine, I mean, how else do you do this? But it sure sounded dicey. But we were just excited to see our old buddy again. That's how I'm feeling about this. This premise feels very, very sweaty. Like, somebody really crunched the numbers and was like, damn it, okay, so, going off Harrison's age, this puts us in the late 60s minimum. The only Nazis left were the ones that we kept for rocket science, so we're, we can't do that. Wait a second. Hey, 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 hold on a sec. Zing. And, yeah, I mean, it's a winning combo for any Indiana Jones movie to have... Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, not recasting, not passing the torch, just full on Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones and him punching Nazis. That's the winning combination and nobody wants anything different. I get it, but like, oof, you're really stretching to get both Harrison Ford and Nazis into this Indiana Jones movie. Kind of begging the question why we are trying to do it at this point. Uh... Sure, it, it makes sense for Indy to not care about the moon because there's no human history on the moon in 1969. Like, that's when human history on the moon begins, is 1969. Uh, there's nothing there to explore for him. There are no ar artifacts or anything. But this sounds frighteningly like Harrison Ford is going to play an elderly man who thinks the moon landing is a Nazi conspiracy. Like he's Abe Simpson or something. And the worst part is that he's probably right, you know, it, because it is probably a Nazi conspiracy. And I, uh, it's an indie movie, you know, we're getting an indie movie. We can kind of gleam what the dealio is with this, right? I mean, we know how these movies work. The Nazis want something that's apparently on the moon. Let's just call it the monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey. They infiltrate uh, NASA so that they can go to the moon and, and take their Nazi ideology with them and, and retrieve the monolith or whatever it is. Indy has to stop them along with his new younger friends who are going to do a lot of the action parts. Uh, <laughs> does the showdown actually happen on the moon's surface? I mean, I don't know. I kind of hope not. I kind of hope so too. Part of me does. It's, I don't know, it's a really big swing. If you've actually got, like, Indiana Jones in a spacesuit on the moon, that's a really big swing that I think, I, honestly, I think James Mangold is smart enough to avoid trying that, knowing full well that people are not going to be into it. But basically, you know, whatever mystical thing that the Nazis want, Indy, you know, what's going to happen? He's going to insist that it isn't actually there on the moon, or it doesn't work, or that it's not real, and then when it's found, it starts glowing and some freaky shit happens, proving that magic or aliens or God exists. That's how these movies end. It's how they work, right? We all know that. Um, Mangold knows that. I wonder if perhaps the moon's desolation, uh, its definitive lack of anything, might be kind of a misdirect, like... The Nazis beat Indy, and they make it to the moon, only to discover that it's literally just a rock with nothing on it. No MacGuffin, no monolith, no ancient aliens. There is no god this time. Like, is he going to use our expectation of something glowy that makes people's faces melt? Is he going to use that against us in a clever way? If so, I might be into that. Like, it would be a really haunting moment if the Nazis get to the moon and their thing isn't there and they're just, like, dead on the moon and, like, oh, we're screwed, and that's it. That's the end. Uh, but I know that we would have a real Last Jedi situation on our hands with the rest of the internet if that ends up being the case. So anyways, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Um, <laughs> look out for Indie V Space Nazis in theaters uh, summer 2023.
But anyway, the other big movie news coming down the pike also involves a beloved action-adventure hero from decades past who's probably way past the point of successfully reviving. Like Indy. Uh, Escape from New York. Escape from New York is being remade by the director team Radio Silence. Uh, that's what they call themselves, I guess. Uh, Radio Silence. These are the folks who made uh, Ready or Not, which is a really good movie, uh, as well as this year's revival of the Scream franchise. They were the ones behind that, since we, unfortunately we, uh, we lost uh, Wes Craven after he made the fourth movie. So this that was the first Scream movie without him behind the camera. So yeah, Radio Silence is a trio of people. There's Matt uh, Bettinelli Olpen, probably saying that wrong, sorry. Uh, Tyler Gillett and Chad Vieja. So they all have double L's in their names, that's interesting. Could have called themselves the double L's or something. Director partnerships are getting really cute with the little names these days, have you noticed that? You got those guys, The Daniels. And then you've got these guys, uh, Radio Silence. I guess it's better than being called Broken Lizard or something, right? Anyways, uh, no confirmation on Kurt Russell being involved in any way, shape, or form with this. No real clarity on if they're recasting Snake Plissken or what. Is this going to be a hard reboot? A legacy sequel set in the alternate timeline established in those John Carpenter movies? Don't know. Don't know, but I'll tell you this. John Carpenter's gonna get paid, kids. And that's good to hear. Um, that man deserves the check that probably just appeared from nowhere and fell into his hand shortly before this news was dropped. Uh, I want him to enjoy that money. I want him to buy all the PS5 games and have a good time with that money. <laughs> uh, especially if they get him to do the score, which they kind of have to, right? They'd be crazy not to ask him. But anyway... Uh, Scream, Scream 5, which was just titled Scream, very good, in my opinion. These guys, they have a sequel to that one on the way uh, pretty quick, that unfortunately they did lose Nev Campbell due to a salary dispute. But luckily they've got Jenna Ortega as the lead, other surviving cast members, more than capable, in my opinion. More than capable of holding it down without Nev Campbell. Uh, it was it was a really good movie, and it showed reverence for the series without getting really bogged down in fan wankery or, you know, stretching the exposition to really make sense of why there's another killer, etc. I don't know. I enjoyed myself with Scream uh, 2022. I'm down to see what they do with Escape from New York, uh, but I have questions. You know, I, I have lingering uh concerns maybe we'll get wyatt russell in the eye patch that wouldn't be too shabby i like him uh maybe you go with a female snake plissken hey i'd be fine with that i know a lot of other people probably wouldn't but i don't know it'd be it'd be fun it's a it's a good hire to grab these guys i think if you're gonna try and do another escape uh, an escape from new york reboot remake follow-up whatever it is and it's worth noting, uh, this is an idea that's been scrubbed so many times already. I remember in 2008 they were talking about an Escape from New York sequel, reboot, something or other. Names like Bradley Cooper and Tom Hardy were being thrown around as Snake Plissken. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, they were also talking about bringing back Kurt Russell at that point. So Funny thing, that being in 2008, Kurt Russell probably could have done it pretty well at the time. I mean, that was like Stuntman Mike era Kurt Russell. I think it could have worked. I'm just saying this. You're going to do one of these. You basically have to go with the Ash versus Evil Dead route with these. Am I right? Indiana Jones, Snake Plissken, Ash Williams. You get the original guy. You put him in the suit and you let him be the guy. That's what he's there for, is to be the guy. Let him be that guy that we all love. Because as Harrison Ford put it recently, somebody was asking him about his thoughts on recasting Indiana Jones, and he said, no, you don't get it. I am Indy. When I die, that's it. He's gone too. That's the way it works. And I think he's right. I feel that way about, about a lot of these. Like, I mean, look, you don't recast Ash Williams. 
Bruce Campbell is Ash Williams. So what do you do? You get Kurt Russell, you make the movie, and you make it about how Snake has to finally find a family or a team. You know, he has to find a team who can help him because he's too old to be the lone wolf anymore. It totally works when you do it right. I think if you if you do it in a way that's not too cloying, that's not too artificial, that doesn't have the heavy air of passing the torch, Crystal Skull comes to mind. The idea of if you're going to make the whole movie about how he's very, you know, pronounced like handing over the fedora, handing over the whip, handing over the leather jacket, handing over the map that makes the lines across the map and like don't don't do that don't do that stuff just make it about how this guy who usually works alone finds somebody that he can actually share an adventure with and that's it it doesn't have to go further than that and and yeah sure enough it 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 worked really good for ash in ash v, uh, versus evil dead i love that show uh it, it didn't it didn't work terribly fantastic for boba fett i understand that but you know what? Give Snake and Indy a group of young people who can be foils to them. I think that's the only way to go at this point. Um, let's move on to comics. A uh, big announcement this week from Image Comics that sounds like, honestly, an amazing concept to me. Uh, Tony Fleeks, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong too, I'm sorry. Uh, Tim Seeley and Tony Fleeks, or Fleece, Uh, It's F-L-E-E-C-S, if you want to look it up. Uh, Tony Fleece, or Fleeks, and Tim Seeley are launching a series called Local Man. What is Local Man? Well, it's a superhero story. Sure, it's a comic book, but it's also a noir detective kind of story. So it follows a recently retired member of a superhero team who kind of like he has to retire in disgrace and move back to his hometown after a controversy... Not sure what the controversy is, but he has to move back to his hometown, back to his parents' house, and kind of rebuild his life. And suddenly, in his hometown, bodies start piling up, and he's got to dive into a kind of hard-boiled case that might have to do with his past. But here's something really cool about it is the format. It's this classic flipbook structure where each issue of the comic is going to have one story drawn by uh, Fleeks, in the present day era and then you flip it upside down and there's a flashback story drawn by Seeley set during the character's superhero days so a different art style to denote the different era concurrently running plots between the superhero plot and the detective plot that's really interesting to me i'm psyched for that i think it's a great idea and the pages available at cbr.com where the announcement was exclusively made Uh, The art has a really great juxtaposition. The superhero stuff, very 90s X-Men color palette, very uh, crazy dynamic layouts, very, you know, hard angles and stuff. The present day in his hometown, far more reserved, a lot more softer uh, corners. Uh, Panels are pretty wide and dialogue heavy. The colors are, of course, they a lot more muted. They have kind of a sepia filtered full of earth tones kind of thing, really presenting a Dust Bowl look for the present day, like almost like a Southern Gothic, although I'm not sure if it's in the South. And the character designs too, the superhero team is in like, they're in bright yellow suits, just muscles, cleavage, flowing hair. And then in the present day, it's very, a lot more kind of realistic, a lot of focus on facial features. Uh, Everybody's eye line is very significant. Uh, forehead wrinkles, that kind of thing. It's a lot more focused on uh, character, on on uh, delivery of dialogue, you know, to convey the story. So it sounds like a really cool book. I, I can't wait to dive into it when it releases uh, February of 2023. Put that in your pool box, plebeians. That was the worst comic book guy uh, from The Simpsons ever. My voice is so shot, guys. Let's... Let's power through the rest of the podcast. Let's get it going. Um, That was all for comics, actually. And before we get into TV news proper, we, of course, had another tragic passing. I didn't mean for obituaries to become a regular segment on the podcast, but it's been a really rough couple of weeks. 
you know, we talked about Aaron Carter dying at only 34. Then the next week we lost Batman and Gallagher. Uh, Kevin Conroy and comedian Gallagher both died on the same day. And I was really crossing my fingers this week. Let's have a Death Light episode of Media Sandwich this week, please. But it's really kind of impossible to talk about pop culture news without talking about what we lost this week, the loss of Jason David Frank, uh, who we lost only 49 years old and took his own life this week. And it's a real tragedy. Uh, he, he was best known as Tommy in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, of course. Everybody remembers the Green Ranger and then eventually the White Ranger. I myself had a pretty spotty history with the Power Rangers. I was a, a diehard fan during that initial wave, though. And I had the toys. I was the Blue Ranger for Halloween. I had the VHS tapes. Matter of fact, I have distinct memories of getting for my birthday the tape that had the whole Green Ranger arc on it. So the intro of him as a villain, his redemption arc, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, JDF, as he's called online, Jason David Frank, he was, he was an interesting dude. He had a really big martial arts background, and I think that always came through in the choreography on Power Rangers. He, he was a lot more crisp in his fight scenes than the others, because they were all primarily actors first, you know? Uh, some of them with with like a uh, uh, gymnastics background or something like that, but he was the one that had the real solid fight choreography to him. Uh, because of that, he always seemed to have a leg up on on them during the fight scenes. And, you know, in my opinion, the rest of the cast always kind of had a leg up on him during the real, like, Save by the Bell kind of comedy scenes. But he was a really good stunt fighter. He had a short-lived MMA career back, like, what, 10, 12 years ago? Uh, didn't really get into that. I, I had heard about it, and I was like, oh, cool, you know? Second life as, as an MMA fighter, that's an interesting uh, interesting path for that guy. But, yeah, the, the buzz surrounding this news is that uh, he just he, he had a rough divorce going on, and it was uh, it was a lot for him, which... It's just really sad. I've, I've heard nothing but good stories about him with fans. Uh, he was evidently, he was very notorious for signing autographs for everyone at cons, regardless if you paid the photo fee. Which, if you don't know, if you don't go to cons, Dragon Con, Comic Cons, uh, those autograph fees are pretty insane these days. Uh, Frank, he, his was around probably $100 at this point, and that's on the lower end. No idea how much of that money actually went to him, either. I've heard bad stories about the cuts that are taken out by the event. But yeah, one one person told a story that they said they admitted to him that they hadn't bought the photo. And uh, he just started signing, I think it was their program or something like that, and he just kind of said, ah, what are they going to do, kick me out of here for signing this for you? So, yeah, good dude. Very sweet with fans. Uh, as far as everything I've read, that's the general consensus. So, uh, yeah, definitely, kids. Uh, if you or someone you love, especially headed into these winter holidays, if, if you're worried about mental health, and I want to emphasize this, emotional health. That's not a term in the medical community, but it ought to be. Uh, people get convinced that mental health problems means, oh, crazy, right? You're crazy. If you have mental health problems, then you're crazy. Take your crazy pills, see your shrink, uh, lock you in a loony bin, like we're all the Joker, right? Um, fact is, we see doctors about our basic maintenance all the time, our bodies in general, our teeth, our eyes, our skin. We got a doctor for every one of those things. Your emotional well-being is something else, that benefits from regular maintenance, like a car's engine, kids. If you ignore the problem, your problem or someone you love's problem, shit gets gunked up. There, there becomes a kink in the cog, and, and it's not a personal failing. It's just basic math. It's physics. If a connection point gets regular stress over a long period of time without any attention or upkeep, it breaks. And we have connection points in our brains and in in our emotions that guide our, our, you know, our emotional states and whatnot. So 
Go get your oil changed, go get your teeth cleaned, and for the love of Pete, make sure you approach the idea of maintaining your mental and emotional health. Um, It doesn't have to be therapy. It doesn't have to be meds. It's been very beneficial for a lot of people, those two things, but some people just benefit from a regular trip to the library, or a hike, or taking up meditation, or painting Warhammer minis, something like that. Just find find your calm, find your center, find, find something that, that keeps you from hitting that point. Uh, don't let the problem get too big and tell people about it and ask people about it for themselves. And for, for you, it's, it, we didn't have to lose this guy, you know, we didn't have to, but it's, it's the way it's the way, uh, our society looks at mental health these days is it's something that we don't want to talk about until it's quite frankly way too late. So anyway, goodbye, Jason David Frank. You were, you were a cool dude. Um, sorry to be the downer again, man. This is three weeks in a row that we've talked about death. Happy holidays. (laughs) Shit. Um, so let's talk about TV and then we're out of here. Uh, some casting news on the horizon for the Percy Jackson series that's headed for Disney plus, uh, we've got a Hades and we've got a Hephaestus. So Jay Duplass, uh, he of the Mumblecore movies that he makes with his brother, Mark Duplass, that guy. Yeah. He's going to be the ruler of the underworld for Disney's Percy Jackson series. Interesting choice. Uh, last thing I saw Jay Duplass in was probably Search Party. Uh, he played Elijah in Search Party. Interesting choice, uh, Jay Duplass, for Hades. They really seem to be casting, though, from a place of who will be really good in this, but their appearance will not take the audience out of the narrative too much. Like, let's not cast a big, crazy-ass name. Let's not get somebody who's like whose star power is going to overshadow the show. I think I'm thinking about Disney plus because I'm thinking about, uh, the mighty ducks show and how everybody was like, woo, they got Emilio back. And now Emilio's not on the show anymore. Damn it. You know, and that, that cast a Paul over season two. So they're kind of, I feel like they're probably casting this so that they don't have as notable as noticeable faces to hang it on so that the kid characters can kind of, shine a little bit more. And I think that's smart. Uh, I think that that's a better idea. Uh, and in that case, Timothy Odmanson, pretty good bet. Timothy Odmanson, you don't know his name. You definitely know his face, everybody. He's a terrific actor. You've seen him in a ton of things. He was one of the great characters on USA's Psych. He was, uh, one of the cops on that show. Uh, I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He gave us all a scare a while back because he had a stroke but I guess he's feeling better and he's back in the game because he's going to be our Hephaestus. Uh, Who's Hephaestus? If you don't remember your Greek mythology, god of crafting, uh, blacksmiths, carpenters, sculptors. So, you know, my kind of guy, I I dig that. Uh, In the context of the Percy Jackson books, Hephaestus is one of the few Greek immortals who's kind of less of a jackass. He's one of the more helpful of, of the Greek gods. Uh, I like that Disney seems to be tackling this adaptation with an eye for longevity, too. Because the cast they're assembling, you could see these people sticking around for five or six seasons of television instead of showing up for one season and then bailing. Uh, Between that and uh, the way Andor really feels like it's made to be season one of a five-season television show instead of a big special event that might not go past this dozen episodes. I think that Disney is finally figuring out what the difference between television and movies are. Hooray. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, the cast for the Percy Jackson show also includes some crowd pleasers like Jason Manzukis. Awesome. Of course he belongs in this. Megan Mullally. Hey, she's always fun. Proud to, proud to see her and laugh at her jokes. Uh, <laughs> Adam Copeland, a.k.a. Uh, WWE's The Edge. Cool! Uh, he's got the physique, definitely, of a Greek god, so that's good casting. 
uh, Suzanne Cryer, who was great on Silicon Valley, if you remember her on that. She was awesome. So awesome to see her in this. And okay, yeah, I will admit, one name and face that might take us out of the narrative because it's too much star power, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay, fair enough. Uh, every time he's in something at this point, it does kind of feel like, oh, hey, it's it's uh, fucking Hamilton. But, <laughs> you know, I don't mind seeing him. I love his enthusiasm. The guy's the most enthusiastic guy in show business. So, cool, cool. The series will release on Disney Plus at some point in 2024 hey plenty of time to read all the books beforehand if you would like you know get get caught up i might try those out with the kids at bedtime come to think of it i've heard good things about them but hey here's a thing that's less good uh remember i told you earlier about how nev campbell very publicly dropped out of that upcoming scream six uh by radio silence which by the way that sixth movie, the sequel to theirs, almost done already. They're turning it around really fast. But yeah, uh, she came out publicly and said, well, they wrote her into the new one, the, the sequel. They offered her a pretty small sum considering she's the last remaining star of the original franchise. She's the only one to be in every single one of them. I mean, Courtney Cox and uh, David Arquette are in all of them, but uh, number five kind of definitively is the last one for the two of them no spoilers but just saying they're not coming back for this one they weren't written into this one but she was so she is the last returning legacy character and they offered her what i can only surmise was an insulting enough amount of money that she made a point to tell us all about it publicly and and turn it down and honestly, I think that's fine. I don't think the Scream movies need Sidney Prescott anymore. I don't think Nev Campbell is obligated to show up anymore. She really didn't seem too keen on coming back for four or five anyway. If I remember right, it took some convincing to bring her back. But instead of doing that, Nev Campbell decided to do a show with David E. Kelly. Uh, you know him. You know David E. Kelly. He's the guy. He's the one who does all the legal dramas that you've seen on television in the last 20 years. He uh, very famously created L.A. Law, The Practice, uh, the more comedy-minded cousins Boston Legal and Ally McBeal. Uh, more recently, he did Big Little Lies on HBO. So, yeah, this new show is a detective series called Avalon, and Nev Campbell is playing, she's the lead, and she's playing a detective who investigates murders out on Catalina Island. Yeah, that one. From the fucking Catalina wine mixer from Step Brothers. Yes, Catalina Island. Uh, it's, it's a really, really rich person place to live. So I guess the whole idea is, oh, it's a safe, nice place to live because we're all rich and shit. And then people start dying and we realize that rich people are actually fucking terrible. And that's the premise of the show. Okay, you know. Sounds kind of humdrum to me, personally. I'm not, I'm not terribly interested in let's let's see the inner workings of the fucked up lives of the rich. I I don't care. I I'm really not interested in what the elite are doing with their privilege behind closed doors. I it sickens me to know the things that I do know. So I don't know. It would be a, an easy skip for me. And apparently uh, ABC evidently thought so too, uh, because they gave it a series order, then they watched the pilot, and then they canceled their order for a series. They called the kitchen and said, don't you dare. Um, yeah, they ungreenlit a series. Wow. Um, this isn't unprecedented. This is a thing that happens in TV actually a lot more often than you would think. Actually happened to uh, to the last project that involved David E. Kelly and Nev Campbell. Uh, because she stars in that show he developed of The Lincoln Lawyer. You might remember the Matthew McConaughey movie, The Lincoln Lawyer. Really great movie, by the way. Uh, based off a series of legal thriller novels that are also pretty good. So David E. Kelly developed a show out of it, and CBS gave it a straight-to-series order. And then they watched the pilot, and then they said, uh, no thanks. So, yeah, so Netflix ended up scooping that one up. That's why it does have a series. 
I wonder if Netflix ends up taking Avalon too, but I don't know, man. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty weird process they've got going out there in uh, Hollyweird. Uh, almost like they need to actually go back to the pilot model. You know, they call it a pilot because, as we all learned from Samuel L. Jackson all those years ago, they make one before they pick it up for a series. It's the pilot episode because it's the one that goes out first, and they see if they want to make it into a television program. The problem is, big names like David E. Kelly, they have these deals, they have these contracts, they have these stipulations that every show gets a straight-to-series order because... The big-name people don't want to dick around with three failed pilots before they find a show that sticks. It reflects badly on their name value, on their brand. So, you know, they do these straight-to-series orders, and then if the pilot looks like a lemon, the network decides to eat the money and break the contract because that's cheaper than making 12 more episodes of a show no one's going to watch. I mean, yikes. Honestly, all I can say is yikes. I'm going to take back something I said earlier in this podcast, actually. The video game industry is a clown show, but the TV industry, the movie industry, all of it sounds just like a middle school dance, doesn't it? A lot of bad noise, lack of coordination, stupid arguments, hormones, unconfident flailing, and it costs way more money and time than it rightfully should. (laughs) And, uh... Hey, in the words of George Costanza, that's it for me. I'm out of here. I'm not getting a better ending line than that metaphor, am I? So (laughs) thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out as always. And hey, hey, please don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate the show, write a review for the show. Let me know you care. Let me know you're listening, you fabulous handful of friends. And if there's anything news-wise or topic-wise that you'd like me to talk about, drop me a line at mediasandwichshow at gmail.com or on Twitter. (laughs) I guess it's here to stay. Everybody thought that it was imploding this last week, but it's here to stay. So that's at media underscore sandwich. I'm also on tumblr.com slash media dash sandwich. If you're you're adventurous, uh, check out Tumblr. And don't forget about the whole Media Sandwich catalog of blog posts at media-sandwich.com. If you need something to read quietly, say while your family's getting into a political debate around the dinner table that gets a little uncomfortable, hey, bring up a Media Sandwich. Um, Yeah, until next week, I am Kyle Martinak, and since I'm not doing turkey this year, I'll have to figure out what my leftover sandwich is going to be. Dang. Um... While I think about that, I'm going to make a grilled cheese, baby. (laughs) Happy weird American holiday to you. Uh, Take your easy.